Let's pray together. Our gracious God, our Heavenly Father, our gracious Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, who guides us and comforts us through life, we give you praise and thanks this morning that you are a God who saves. It's the reason why we're here. It's the reason why we have a future to look forward to beyond this life. And I pray that as we, your church, gather together in this place this morning to continue to worship you by opening up the scriptures. I pray that you would use your word to speak to our hearts, that we may be a part of living out your plan and your purpose on earth, that we would be a people proclaiming a new covenant through Jesus Christ where all people are welcome and forgiven in the name of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Go ahead and have a seat there. What a great service we've had already. Um, as we start off, I want to I ask you a question. You can just think of it yourself. But the question is this. Have you ever had that feeling of excitement and fear mixed together at the same time? Right? To varying degrees, maybe, right? It seems like such a strange combination of emotions, but we actually have it a fair bit. I will never forget um, leaving the hospital with uh, Christine and I's firstborn child, Gabriel, right? That was one of those moments for me. Excitement. I was so proud, so excited, right? But I was filled with fear. Did I install the car seat correctly, right? Did, am I going to break this poor, fragile baby as I try to get his arms and legs inside this harness that I'm going to put him in the car? Am I going to drive him home safely? Because I'm a pretty good driver, but there's crazy people out there, right? Fear and excitement all at once. You know, excitement and fear, they're the, they're the feelings that come to surface when we're a part of something significant, Okay, the excitement comes in because we're participating in something potentially life-changing, something powerful, something memorable. But the fear comes in when we realize we could mess it up, we could break it, we could ruin it. Here we are, caught in the middle, caught in that tension between what currently is and the potential of what could be. Excitement and fear. As I said at the communion table, you know, think of the 12 disciples, okay, down to 11, right? The betrayer is gone. These 11 disciples are at the resurrection of Jesus, are asked to gather together, and Jesus gives them what we know in the church as the great commission. Essentially, take my mission, you, my disciples, who have walked with me for the last three years. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the lame walk. You've seen the blind see. You have heard my teaching to mass crowds and even just as we gathered around a campfire at night, right? These 11 disciples are given this commission to carry Christ's work on, on earth when he returns to God the Father in heaven. Excitement mixed with fear. Okay, I want us to turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 28. As I said, we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that simply the church often refers to as the Great Commission. It's Matthew chapter 28 and verses 16 to 20. I will read it for us here. You can follow along on the screen or, or in your own Bibles. It says this, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, 
going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We are wrapping up our sermon series this morning called The Gathering. And um, there's no way that we would be able to complete this sermon series without looking at the Great Commission and trying to understand God's desires, his, um, his hopes, his dreams, his prescriptions for the church. And the thing is about this passage is that um, regardless of the era of church you are a part of in church history, regardless of the denomination, the church location, what size your church may be that you have attended, there are three truths that come out of this passage that I want to talk about today. Truths that are central to our understanding of the how and the why of church. The first truth is simply this. The gathering is all about Jesus. Okay? Of course, in a theological sense, the gathering is about all of God, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? You cannot separate God. But that's an entirely different sermon. Um, the purpose I want to bring today um, in this point is I want to single out Jesus because Jesus is the made-in-human-flesh Savior that bled, died, and rose again. He's referred to many times in the scriptures as the head of the church. And according to this passage, he is the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth is given. So with that in mind, I want to talk about this truth. The gathering is all about Jesus. So Jesus gathers these 11 disciples, he places the church in their hands, and he, he reminds them that he is no longer physically going to be with them. But this gathering is still going to be full of his authority and power. Okay? Um, it didn't take the disciples long to realize this. Acts chapter 2 is an incredible passage of scripture. I encourage you to read it on your own sometime this week uh, in your life group. Read it together as a group. Um, but in Acts chapter 2, there's this incredible event that happens. Um, it's called Pentecost. It's where the Holy Spirit comes, fills these disciples with incredible power. They begin speaking the message, the truth about who Jesus is in a variety of languages, not their own mother tongues. And in, in Jerusalem where they are, there's tons of people from all over the world. And they get to hear this truth being spoken powerfully through the disciples. And um, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that on that day, after that powerful proclamation of who Jesus is, 3,000 people believed and were baptized on that day. You see, Acts chapter 2 is an amazing reminder that the power and authority of the church is not found, it never has been found, in men and women. It is found in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the tension that sometimes lies within this simple truth, okay? As fundamental as it may sound. And this truth is that whenever we forget that the church is all about Jesus, the church loses its power. 
When we leave Jesus out, the power of the kingdom cannot come in. When we forget that the church is all about Jesus, it's not always intentionally. It's not always maliciously, okay? But yes, have there been people who have abused their position and responsibility in the church throughout history? We have to say yes to that question, okay? But that's not as God ever intended, that it would ever become about us, our positions. It would all be about Jesus and his position. You see, the tagline that we have given to this sermon series is preference, over prescription, derails purpose. We could also say that preference over prescription derails power in the church. Okay? You see, because what makes the church so powerful is not the human component, it's the Jesus component. And too often, we tend to settle in the church for the human component. We tend to think small. We tend to plan for what we feel is manageable, and we tend to settle for less than what God really desires. Now, this isn't really meant to shame us, okay? But this is to remind us of what is capable under the authority and the power of Jesus in the church, okay? The verse says, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to Jesus. That's a lot of power and authority to tap into, And when we keep the church all about Jesus, we have more access to that life-changing power. So the truth is, is that I believe God is calling us as a church to think big, to take our own personal preferences and comfort levels out of the equation and ask God to do something truly amazing. After all, he asked 11 disciples to change the world. We as a church need to be willing to make... uh, to take risks for God, right? The church really should be always living with to some degree of risk, okay? We should always be attempting or planning to attempt something that is beyond our human capability, right? As Pastor John has often said here at Village Green, when we forfeit the risk, we forfeit the miracle, right? When we think small, we limit the power of God in our lives and in the church. And here's the thing to me that is really key to remember. It doesn't matter the size of your church because the power of God is the power of God, okay? So whether you're a part of a mega church with four campuses, millions of dollars in the budget lines, a multi-level facility, if the church, or if the church is just simply meeting in no building at all, maybe a home or under a tree somewhere with just half a dozen believers gathering for worship and teaching, the truth of the Bible is that that church, any church that keeps Jesus the central thing, is a church that can change the world. Because the power of Christ is in that church. In fact, the truth could be that a small church that keeps the focus, uh, Jesus as the focus, can have more spiritual impact on the world than a large church that waters down the truth and keeps Jesus on the edges. We need to remember that at all times. The church is not about us, it's about Christ, it's about Jesus, his life, his death. And his resurrection. The second truth from the Great Commission is this In the gathering, all are welcome. Okay? I've mentioned that already this morning. The verse says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit. People from all nations, people from every background, every culture, people who have made all kinds of mistakes, everyone. Go make disciples of anyone and everyone, Jesus says, because in the gathering, in the church of Jesus Christ, all are welcome. You know, I would challenge you to look through the scriptures and find one instance in the life of Christ where he turned someone away. All sorts of people came to Jesus for help. There were beggars, adulterers, lepers, the blind, the rich, the educated, children. So many people time and time again come to Jesus and not one of them is ever turned away. The only people who walk away from Jesus did so because they decided to. Jesus lived out this truth that in the gathering, in in the family of God, everyone is welcome. And he calls the church to live it out as well. In the gathering, all are welcome. Again, it seems pretty simple and straightforward, right? Um, But again, there's tension with this because we as human beings tend to gravitate towards people who are a lot like us, okay? Um, People with the same level of education, common interests, common stages of life, common beliefs and values, okay? We tend to hang out with people who, for the most part, actually are a lot like us. Because, hey, let's be honest, right? It's more comfortable that way. It's usually not as much work. It's usually a lot less awkward, okay? And while we're being honest, let's admit that sometimes, actually, all the time in the church, it's more comfortable, too, if we're all the same. But God's desire for the church is not that we be comfortable, not that we all be the same, but that we would grow as a church. Go and make disciples of all nations, Jesus says. Of all nations, no matter how different these people may be from you, share with them the love of God, the work of Jesus Christ. In the church, diversity is a must, right? The moment the church is not marked by diversity is the moment the church is in trouble. Chances are that church might be more comfortable as they gather together and meet, but that church will be in trouble. You know, here, here it is. We get in trouble at church when we just want to be comfortable, right? When we want everything to uh, just kind of work out just so and not cause us any level of discomfort. We... We often want church to be this type of family, this almost Brady Bunch type of family where everybody knows each other, everybody gets along well with each other, everybody's comfortable with each other, where we're all friends, we all know all the details of each other's lives. And you know, that's not a bad thing, that's actually a really admirable thing. But it's not really a realistic thing. Now that is why a church that wants to be a family in that sense A church that wants to be a family like that will typically struggle in two areas. One is diversity, and the other is in growth. Why? Well, because diversity is messy, and growth is messy. Remember Acts chapter 2? 3,000 people in one day coming and believing and being baptized. What a messy, messy day, okay? Could you imagine next week if 3,000 people showed up here to Village Green on Sunday morning. Um, We're not going to be as comfortable in the seats. Um, 
It's going to be messy. It's going to be diverse. It's going to be uncomfortable. But it would be awesome. That's what the church is all about. Because all are welcome. Okay? Now, don't, please, don't hear me say that the church is not a family because it is. Okay? But it should be a growing family that is filled with diversity. Because the truth of the gospel message is that all are welcome. Preference over prescription derails purpose. And if we allow our own preference for things to be neat, tidy, and comfortable, and we place that over God's desire to include anyone and everyone, no matter how messy that might look, we derail God's purpose for the church. Um, You know my favorite times ever at church? My favorite times ever at church are baptisms, okay? I love baptisms. When you get to hear someone's story of how God has worked in their life, and every time it never ceases to amaze me how different we are, right? It's incredible to see how God has led in each and every one of our lives, no matter how different we are, right? I don't know if you were here, but you might remember our last baptism service here at Village Green. Do you remember the diversity of ages, of genders, of cultures, ethnicities, backgrounds, of stories, of how people got to that point of saying, I believe in Jesus and I want to take the step of baptism to show publicly the world? right? It was amazing. You know, I don't know if you know this, but we have a video of, of our baptisms on our website. So villagegreenchurch.com, if you go under the content subtitle, and then um, it's under videos, or there'll be a Vimeo. That's like online. If you click on that, you'll see it. I encourage you to look at it. It's, it's really great. I love baptisms because there's nothing like a baptism to remind me of how radically diverse we are as a church family, but how incredibly unified we are as a church family spiritually. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of this truth. All right, the third thing that we learn from the Great Commission, okay? The gathering is about learning to trust. Verse 20 says, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The reality is, in church, the learning curve should always remain high, whether you've been a believer for 30 minutes or 30 years, okay? The commandments that Jesus gave us really aren't that complex to remember or to truly understand. We here at Village Green have basically kind of summed them up in our mission statement, to love God, to love others, and to change the world, okay? So to love God, right? The commandment to keep God first in all things at all times. To love others, to have a heart of compassion and service towards others, just as Jesus did. And then change the world. In thought, word, and deed, make the world a better place. Okay? Um, What we need to do is not necessarily the difficult part. But living out what Christ asks us to live out in the world That is where the challenge comes. And that is where through church, through our life groups, through the support and encouragement of one another, we gather together to learn alongside one another and with one another what it means to love God, to love others, and to change the world. You see, the gathering is about learning, but it's also about trust. 
Because when you learn, you come face to face with your own limitations, right? That's why you're learning something. You didn't know it before. It's something new, okay? You come face to face with your own limitations in understanding, in discipline, in practice. And this is where the tension comes in um, with this truth, right? Because often when new things come, when change comes, when tension comes in life, we tend to question God because we don't understand yet. We're learning these new things, these challenges we're facing. We're learning, and we will tend to question God. You know, the most amazing thing I I, I think is about this great commission is actually in verse 17, okay? You probably remember me reading it. It says that when these 11 disciples gathered uh, on this mountain in Galilee, um, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Well, what did they doubt? Here's the risen Lord right before you, okay? I don't know. The scriptures don't go into detail there, okay? Have you ever had doubts? You know, it's okay. Because the gathering is about learning to trust. And doubt is actually a very important part of trust, right? If there was no doubt, there would be no need to trust, right? We would know, okay? You can actually look at doubt where it can be the faith-filled component of trusting God, okay? Let me flesh this out a little bit, okay? Because having faith doesn't mean that you know everything. Having faith doesn't mean that you have it all figured out. It doesn't mean that you never struggle. It doesn't mean you never wonder or question. It simply means that even in the presence of doubt, you've chosen to trust in Jesus, So that's why when you don't get that job that you've been hoping for, when your sick and dying loved one isn't getting better, and when the addiction that you've been trying to shake for years keeps pulling you down, you might question why. You'll naturally question why. But you trust still in the goodness of God. That is faith. That is trust. You see, faith doesn't mean you never struggle, you never suffer, you never wonder, you never question. It simply means that even in the presence of your doubt, you choose to trust in Jesus. Right? Now, doubt, yes, is hazardous to your faith when you choose not to trust in Jesus. Because that type of doubt leads you away from Christ. But when you doubt, if you have a doubt that chooses to trust in Jesus, that doubt will lead you to greater faith. Why? Because that doubt leads you to Jesus. Singer, songwriter, and author Twyla Paris says this, We human beings are so security-oriented. Whether it is conscious or not, we all need and want security in our lives. From the time we're born, we're clinging to something. That's okay, but we've got to be clinging to the right thing. When we are holding on to Jesus, that's when we are holding on to real hope. Here's the thing, right? Just like I was filled with fear and excitement at the thought and the reality of bringing Gabriel home from the hospital for the first time, the truth is that over the last five years, Since that day, five and a bit years from that day, I've already failed many times as a parent. 
but I've also learned a whole lot about what it means to be a parent. And in the same way, the disciples here are given the task of caring for, of nurturing, of growing this church, this mission of Christ that will literally change the world. And they too fail at times, just like we fail at times too in the church. Okay? But along that way, we're learning what it means to take part in this thing called the gathering, this life-changing group called the gathering. We too often fail at our own efforts. We too often put our own preferences above God's prescription and we derail purpose. Sure, we do. We can admit that today. At times, we all do that. We're all guilty of it. But as we conclude this sermon series, I want you to remember one thing, okay? The church isn't going anywhere, okay? Nothing is going to stop the church of Jesus Christ. So if there's one thing that I want to leave you with this morning, and there's one thing I want to leave you with as we conclude this sermon series, it's this, that the gathering is always moving forward. It's growing. It's changing. It's moving. It was not designed to stand still and hang back. It was meant for forward movement all the time. It was meant to change lives. It was meant to bring hope to the hopeless, love to the loveless. It was meant to be and is meant to be that one place in a broken world where everyone is truly welcome. It's that one place where it's all about Jesus, where anyone and everyone are welcome, and where we all are learning to trust. And as we do, we also learn to love God, to love others, and change the world. We're moving to two services in September, all right? Is it filled with tension? Yeah. Will it require a lot more of us? Yeah. Well, why would we change? Why would we change what we have? Why would we take this step when things are going well right now? Because we're part of the gathering, and the gathering was never meant to stand still. It was meant to move forward, and we here at Village Green have a growth mentality, and we believe in the power of God. We believe that all the empty seats will be filled with new believers who are worshiping alongside us in the days to come when we grow together in diversity and in number. So as we move forward, we're taking a risk, but we're awaiting the miracles, right? And as we do, we will keep things all about Jesus. We will welcome anyone and everyone And we will share with them the love of Jesus. And together we will all learn to trust him more and more. Even in the face of our doubts and our worries. Because we're the church. Let's pray. God, you confuse me sometimes so much. I don't know why you would put something so fragile into human hands. I think of my boys and I just pray that you'd help me be a better father. But more important than being a father, Lord God, I want to be a good son. I want to be a good part of this gathering. And each and every one of us do. I believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. And yeah, we fail. 
We fail at times. We fall short at times. But it's not about us. It's about you. It's about your power. It's about your purpose in the world. And you've been doing this from the beginning of time. And you ask us to still be a part of it, despite our failures. And that to me is confusing, but it's amazing and it's wonderful. And I accept that challenge and that responsibility. And I pray that we too as a church embrace that. Lord God, we are truly excited for not just our present reality, but for the future reality that you are leading us towards. I pray that you would remind us that we, not in and of ourselves, can change the world. But when we put you first when we tell others about you and what you've done in our lives and what you long to do in others' lives, that's what will change the world. God, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this precious group of people. And we're not alone. We're, we're one small local church in this huge, you know, Christian family of God. But God, may we be faithful in who we are and who we are being called to be. And as we move forward, yes, We step forward with some risks, but we anticipate the miracles. We anticipate seeing you more clearly, understanding you more fully, and being able to share you more powerfully with the world around us. Thank you, Lord God, for confusing us and giving us this thing called the church. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.